Now, from the Paxa Studios in downtown Honolulu, the Sports Animals on ESPN Honolulu. Thanks for making us a part of your Monday. It's a busy Monday. Heisman Trophy finalists are out in shocker. All quarterbacks. But it seems like there's a little bit of disagreement over some who got in and some who didn't. Uh, we'll talk about that coming up in just a little while. And while, yes, Tua Tonga-Vailoa did have an off day yesterday as the Miami Dolphins lose to Brock Purdy and the San Francisco 49ers, don't read much, but it did knock Tua down a little bit in one of my lists. My list. not a website's list. My list. Uh, that coming up a little bit later on in the show. Uh, we're going to preview Hawaii men's basketball against uh, UNLV Wednesday night. The undefeated Rebels of UNLV, they are 8-0. Justin Webster, former Rainbow Warrior basketball player, had a, a huge game off the bench in UNLV's road win at uh, San Diego. Steve Cofield uh, from ESPN Radio Las Vegas will be with us at the top of the next hour. And uh, Bellator is back on the uh, back on the docket coming up on Friday, and uh, we're going to talk to Kai Kamaka the third, who's going to be with us because uh, he is on said card on Showtime on Friday. And it has been a little while since we've gotten an opportunity to talk to Kai Kamaka from Pearl City. He's on the undercard, um, so uh, you know that that uh, that card's got a uh, women's flyweight world championship bout on the line. It's got the interim bantamweight title bout on the line. Uh, there are a lot of bouts on that card. Kai Kamaka's got Kevin Bohm in a featherweight matchup. So uh, Kai will be with us five twenty this afternoon. Uh, so make sure you listen in for that. Uh, text us at 808-296-1420. Call us at 808-296-1420. And all of our guests, when they do appear, they do so courtesy of the Aloha Kia hotline. At Aloha Kia, you know a guy. We're also getting ready for uh, Monday Night Football coming up. Tampa Bay Buccaneers, New Orleans Saints uh, with the kickoff coming up in about 20 minutes. We've got some updates on that game throughout the day in our uh, uh, M. Dyer Global Scoreboard. And uh, you can also listen to that game. It is on ESPN television. You can hear it on our sister station, uh, CBS 1500, Hawaii's information station. So uh, college football uh, taking a ton of the conversation after yesterday's announcement of the top four teams in the college football playoff semifinals. It's me not a big deal. Um, you know, I, I, I would create a hot take out of that. But honestly, there is no hot take to make out of Ohio State going into the top four and not rewarding USC for its year when it has a, a bad loss in the Pac-12 championship game. I'm sorry, but I have uh, uh, I have no sympathy for that. I have no sympathy for the people who complain about, well, it pays to not play in a championship game um, you know, when someone loses and you, you find your way in. It's actually not true. I mean, think about it. You're not in the championship game, but it's not like you're Vanderbilt. You know, you're a team like Ohio State and you lose once. All right, you missed out on the championship game, but your resume is good enough that you're sitting there with the opportunity to to potentially uh, play for a, a, a national championship. You know, I, I think people are, tend to put a one-size-fits-all blanket on 
a team who is five or six and whether they belong in the conversation if they're not playing. I, I think someone called in last week, and, and and I don't remember who it was, but they were basically saying, well, it's, it's uh, you know, kind of pointing out, well, what's the point? You know, you've got um, – a team, if you're USC and you lose, you're out. You're Ohio State. You're just kind of waiting there with the opportunity. Well, here's the difference between uh, like Ohio State and uh, let's say in Alabama, who I don't think would have ever been considered for for a top four. Alabama already had a couple of losses. Ohio State had one. Who was Ohio State's loss to? Michigan. Michigan's the Big Ten champion. That does. Um, that does credit you for something. It's not like Ohio State's lone loss, putting them at number five, was against Illinois, which would not have been a totally bad loss this year. Illinois is not a bad team. They're a bowl team, but it's not Michigan. You were one game away from making the Big Ten championship game. Um, you know, if, if there's any gripe, if we want to be a hot take machine today, and I just don't believe there's a hot take in this particular argument, that... You know, I could have potentially knocked down TCU and and put them to four because they did lose. And I would make the argument that Ohio State, um, I believe, is better than TCU. And I'd put Ohio State at three. And, um, you know, and I would I would not be I would not be shy of the Ohio State Michigan rematch. In fact, I, I had a conversation with somebody about this. I, I I'm I'm not scared of rematches, I, and you shouldn't be scared of rematches either. In fact, if you have an opportunity for Ohio State and Michigan to play again, why not? Because if that you know, for everybody who talks about ratings, right? I hear all these conspiracy theorists about why the college football playoff does certain things. They put teams in certain positions. They do it because of ratings. They do it because of money. They do it because of revenue. Well, guess what? If you wanted to do everything for ratings and revenue, you would have put Ohio State and Michigan at 3-2 and two respectively and had them play in a semifinal. You'd probably have one of the best-rated college football playoff semis ever because you'd have the game as the game not to be cheesy about it, and people would flock in in droves. You put that on primetime on New Year's Day, you have ratings gold. But clearly, they didn't do everything for ratings and revenue because they gave you TCU and Michigan and Ohio State and Georgia. Again, (laughs) really no hot take here. You got one versus four. You got the four best teams. Apologies, none, to USC's defense and Caleb Williams' injury um, that created where we are currently uh, with USC being out of the top four. But where I think you can create a hot take, I think you can create it around the Heisman. You know, normally... Um, when we get to this point, well, should I say normally? Most of the time, when we get to this point, we get the top four, we, we, we get to the Heisman, and I think we usually have an idea of who the Heisman winner is going to be right when we find out the finalists. I know there's a betting favorite, 
But I don't know that I believe it, and I don't know that my vote would go that way. In case you missed it, they announced the uh, Heisman finalists during a Monday Night Countdown on television. The finalists, Georges Stetson Bennett, TCU's Max Duggan, Ohio State's C.J. Stroud, and USC's Caleb Williams. And the odds-on favorite is Caleb Williams from USC, to which... um, it's a big deal because USC has not had a finalist in a while for the Heisman Trophy. C.J. Stroud, we expected to be here. Um, I don't think we would have said the same thing about Max Duggan. I don't know. That, I, I would have. I would have said it about Stetson Bennett. Um, you know, I, I am a believer in Bennett in this position, and frankly, I probably would have given my vote to Stetson Bennett. But I'm going to be really curious here in the next couple of weeks to understand. Um, what is it that is the criteria here for those who are voting for the Heisman? What are they looking for? Because um, I feel like I could make the case, unfortunately not for Max Duggan. And look, no disrespect to Max Duggan. Love the guy. And watched him in, no disrespect as there's going to be disrespect taken out of this. Um, watching him in the Dr. Pepper Big 12 Championship, that was a phenomenal effort that he nearly single-handedly accomplished to get his team to overtime and with a chance to win. They did not win. Max Duggan is is an awesome quarterback. I just don't know that... uh, um, I don't know that I would have put him... I don't don't know that I have a case for him as a finalist. Uh, Or not as a finalist, but as a winner. I don't have a case for Max Duggan as a winner. Stetson Bennett, you're the quarterback of the number one team in the nation. Um, to me, that goes a long way as it is, and I I think you are I, I think you are given a little bit of cred just by being that. Make you know, forget that he's twenty five. He's like the oldest player in college football, um, and he looks like if you go by his picture on the Georgia website, uh, he looks like he is either a grad assistant coach or he is a banker. He does not look like a college football quarterback. He looks like an adult that is uh, a young adult that is making uh, way too much money for his age bracket. But anyway, uh, 20 touchdowns. The numbers aren't entirely great, but they are good for a top team in college football. In fact, let me go back to Duggan real quick. If Hendon Hooker wasn't hurt, Duggan's not in the top four. Hooker's in. Um. You know, and, and I know there are people that still wanted Hooker there. Hooker was amazing this year, but um, the injury, I think, canceled him out of the conversation. But I think he would have been a top four guy. And, and midway through the year, he was my Heisman finally. He was my Heisman winner. Uh, the injury derailed that. But I can make the case for Bennett. Uh, steady, you know, doesn't make a ton of mistakes. Championship game, four touchdown passes. To me, that's the kind of game in which you have only six incompletions. You have a, a, a rating of over 200. You know, um, those are the kinds of numbers I can get behind on a regular basis. And really, he had what? Um, two bad games. Unfortunately, they were back-to-back against Georgia Tech and Kentucky. But other than that, look at him against Tennessee. Good. Um, look at him against Auburn. Good. Uh, against Oregon to open the year, great. You know, throwing for 368, which was the, uh, the, the, the season high for him. I can get behind that. Um, C.J. Stroud. I believe C.J. Stroud 
probably the best player of the four. Probably. Uh, there's no injury to talk about. There is no... Um, there, There is nothing I can really say that it would knock down C.J. Stroud, for me at least, except for the fact that they lost to Michigan. Um, and that knocks down a lot of things when you play at, at Ohio State. I mean, his worst game was against Northwestern. He was 10 of 26 for 76 yards. But other than that, he's got more touchdown passes than Stetson Bennett, same amount of interceptions. Um, you know, even in that game against Michigan in which he threw a couple of picks, he still had a couple of touchdowns and threw for 349 um, he was phenomenal this year and frankly is is probably you know the the best player of the four and then Caleb Williams I think is the most exciting of the four I would probably also say why Caleb Williams is a an odds-on favorite is probably the MVP nature of what he is to USC as we learned, in watching USC, USC's defense uh, was not great against Utah, and uh, probably and 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 frankly, not great. Period. Thirty-seven points allowed to Arizona, thirty-five points allowed to Cal, uh, forty-seven to Utah. Um, yet Caleb Williams, their two losses, by the way, were to Utah. And, um, you know, you could see, and, and Tanner's saying, you could you could say into the microphone in a second, you could see also the valuable part, I was going to get to this, the valuable part of the award is what happened when Caleb Williams was not 100%, right? I mean, the, the defense was not good, and Utah torched USC's defense twice this year, which makes a, a, a big difference. But the valuable part in the Heisman, because I believe the Heisman is, is akin to the MVP, is what you saw in the back half of the game when Caleb Williams was not right. Right, and even when he wasn't right because of that, uh, was it the 40-yard run mm. where it wasn't necessarily a touchdown? You know, going to the end of the game, we hear that Lincoln Riley said that Caleb Williams said he felt his hamstring pop in the middle of that run. Right. And you could tell for the entire game, he just was not moving in the pocket at no. all. And even when he was just a strict pocket passer, he was still doing enough to keep USC in the game up until the fourth quarter. There were multiple times where in that game, I think there was the one I remember is in the fourth quarter, and it's third down. He throws the slant for the first, and 14 drops it. Mm -hmm. So, And if Caleb Williams had his legs, we've seen what he could be doing with his legs all year. It's akin to young Russell Wilson, where he just just runs backwards and somehow gets a, like, a seven-yard gain out of it. Caleb Williams with his legs is amazing. And like you said, just without being able to use his legs, he was still there enough to keep them in the game. Yep. But there was nothing much else other than him keeping USC alive in the Pac-12 championship game. By the way, significant hamstring injury, which makes you wonder whether he's even going to play in the, uh, the AT&T Cotton Bowl Classic. Uh, was it AT&T or is it good? Who cares? The Cotton Bowl Classic. Uh, coming up on January 2nd. We're supposed to, by the way, our, our rules are we're supposed to, when we mention the bowl game, we have to mention the sponsor. It is indeed the Goodyear Cotton Bowl Classic uh, when USC plays Tulane. But Caleb Williams is the most exciting player of the four. Um, I don't know that I'd say the best player of the four, but the most exciting of the four. And maybe his ability to carry a team 
earns him the Heisman. But I don't know about um, that much of an of an odds-on favorite that he is. I I mean, again, I've spent most of the year looking at C.J. Stroud, and I've spent a lot of the year, um, you know, giving a lot of props to Stetson Bennett. And if it were me, I'd probably still be looking at C.J. Stroud, frankly. Um, but we'll see how this goes. Heisman Trophy is going to be announced soon. In fact, next week, Saturday, I believe it is. Uh, and uh, we'll, we'll find out who wins in New York City. But four quarterbacks, no surprise, on the Heisman list this year. All right, uh, we'll, we'll do surf a little bit later on. Apparently, Gary's still in the water and, uh, you know, uh, surfing. I think that's the prep in doing his surf report is, uh, you know, surfing. He's got to go to each beach on the island and say, okay, this is, what's, this is what it's looking like all day. Yeah, in order to, to tell you uh, which beach to go so that he can go to the best one. You know, it's it's the, uh, I'm not going to say who it is, but it is the old technique of another person in our industry who apparently likes to tell people where to go so he can have the best spot. Apparently, according to sources, not revealing my sources. Uh, surf coming up in a little bit. Uh, but when we come back, we get to your text messages in a little bit later. Tua, not going to make a big deal about Sunday, but I will knock him down on m- one of my lists. That is next. It's the Sports Animals on ESPN Honolulu. That's roasting on an open fire. Jack Frost nipping at your nose. All together now. Inhale. You'll Exhale. Being sung That's what happens when the song plays. You sit back on your recliner. You have a uh, sparkling cider. Oh, wait. I don't have that today. The spiced apple cider from Starbucks, the, or the ones that have them <laughs> left. And then as the song continues, as you've kicked back on your recliner and you've got that, that spiced apple cider next to you, about 10 minutes later, you fall asleep. And for me, it's not good because I snore loud. <laughs> that's that's what I... And, and Tanner knew exactly at that point. That is when you say goodbye to chestnuts roasting on an open fire. That was that, that was that was the perfect time to just say, all right, yeah, let's, uh, let's get rid of it. Our Zephyr Insurance text line is at uh, 808... Our, our, our not-so-insurance text line. That's done. Totally forgot about that. 808-296-1420. A uh, couple of texts on the college football's playoff uh, semifinals. Texter from the 381. Wouldn't Ohio State-Michigan final have even better ratings? Well, you see, my friend, you can't try to make the ratings of a final that you don't know that you're going to have. Better yet, you're not going to have it. Ohio State and Michigan will not be playing against one another for the college football playoff national championship. Good try. Good luck. Not happening. Go play NCAA football 14. Update your stadiums and update your rosters and make it happen there. Ohio State and Michigan will not play each other again this year. But that's why... You can't you can't set up something for something that you don't know is going to happen. So you've got to do it for the semi. Like again, <laughs> again, it's like um, 
ratings and revenue. Oh, we're doing all this for ratings and revenue. Clearly, clearly not. One more. This is from uh, Chris, who wants me to read and comment. Although, honestly, do I have a minute and a half to read this text and comment? Okay, I'll speed read. But the comment's probably going to have to come after break. Actually, you know what? No, we're not doing that. Well, well, I'll read your text. I'll comment after the break with the with the text because uh, I'm up against the clock at SportsCenter uh, and, and mourn a little bit. And then I'll get to the tool list in a little bit. Yeah, sometimes the texts are really, really long, um, which I appreciate. I appreciate the time it takes, standard messaging and data rates applying, in order to send the texts that are really, really long. So no, Chris, I'm not gonna, uh, I'm not gonna avoid your text. I'm just gonna save it to a point where I can read it in full, not skip past it, and uh, and dismiss it. But basically, um, he's basically saying two boring semifinal games, and then there's a lots of dollar signs. That's maybe the one thing I'll disagree with right out of the gate. I don't think these semis are boring. Did you watch TCU and its loss? Um, I actually believe TCU in Michigan is really, really intriguing. Um, and I'm sure Michigan is a heavy favorite. I don't know that I buy that. I love TCU in that three spot against Michigan. I love that so much. I saw what Michigan did. I was watching on the plane on Saturday, watching the end of that game. Um, thank goodness for Southwest showing you live TV and on, even on inter island flights. I'm not sold on Michigan. Haven't been sold on Michigan all year. Not going to do it now. Sports Center next. Uh, Empire Global Scoreboard is coming up. We're watching uh, Bucks. And Saints, for my fantasy football needs, my fantasy football needs, I need a Bucks blowout win. I need Tom Brady to be like 35-year-old Tom Brady. Uh, we need, I need a turn-back-the-clock kind of game in order for me to still have a shot at the ESPN Honolulu Fantasy League postseason. You need to turn back the clock to 40-year-old Tom Brady. <laughs> That's right. That is right. I need I need 42-year-old Tom Brady back on the field. I need him to throw for four touchdowns and 295 yards without an interception. That's the Tom Brady I need. All 42 years of him. Forget the last three. They don't matter to me. And clearly this year hasn't mattered to me either because he's been kind of a fantasy bust. Anyway, uh, let's get to Chris's text, shall we? He um, he took time to write a novel, so I'll 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 give it uh, the time that it's due. Chris says I'm going to have to agree, although we actually disagree on this. We are going to have two boring semifinal games. It says Michigan will blast TCU, Georgia will blast Ohio State. He also says I don't think TCU is one of the best teams. I think Alabama should have gone four. And Ohio State should have been number three. Like you said, have the Ohio State-Michigan rematch. That game will make so much money. Alabama versus Georgia. Dollar signs. But they were not going to allow TCU to play in the Sugar Bowl. They have already played Kansas State twice and won't allow a third. 
well, they weren't going to play a third time no matter what. So they felt sorry for them and put them in, leaving Alabama to play K-State. Um, just a note on how they schedule for bowl games. Um, they would never have played K-State in a bowl game. They would have replaced K-State in a bowl game, um, but would not have actually played them. You know, you don't want the same teams. This is not a couple of years ago when we had two of the same team playing in the Nova Home Loans Arizona Bowl. From the same, remember two Mountain West teams playing against one another in that bowl? Remember how lovely that was? It wasn't, and I didn't watch. Um, and Barstool took that over, and that bowl's uh, slightly more interesting. But this idea that TCU is not one of the best teams. I I need I need a little more fact based stuff on that on why TCU is not one of the best teams and I hope it is not because um, TCU has had to come from behind what five times this year and nearly completed a comeback to make it a sixth on a on, on Saturday in the Big Twelve Championship I hope it's not that. Because good teams don't just dominate. Good teams also know how to win games, even when they may not be playing their best game. You know, and that's, I think, one of the characteristics that Michigan has. I don't give Michigan a ton of credit because their non-conference schedule is whack. But, um, and I don't mean Western Athletic Conference. I mean W-H-A-C-K. Whack, like Jim Harbaugh's khakis. But um, they find ways to win, even on their worst days. And Michigan has had some tough days, and they found ways to win, and I'll, I'll give them the credit for that. Um, you know, especially they were able to beat an Ohio State team that I believe overall, I thought Ohio State was better. But the notion that TCU isn't uh, one of the top four teams you know, from anybody at this point, even when you watch that Big 12 championship game and you watch what Max Duggan single-handedly did to keep them in the game is preposterous to me. It and, and by the way, this is not an Alabama argument because Alabama was never in it going into this last week. I really believed that the committee was truly looking at five teams. And unless there was mass chaos, and we almost had it, um, you know, after USC lost and uh, TCU lost, you know, unless there was mass chaos, there were only five teams to me being considered for four spots. And Ohio State was the fifth. It was really the job of USC and TCU and even Michigan to not lose. And if you were going to lose, then it was going to be a matter of, well, how did you lose? Like USC, look, that was simple. That was so simple. USC, with the injuries and, and uh, the, the defense not stopping anybody, yeah, that was, that was easy. TCU was not hard either. You got to have a lot of respect in a conference championship game to play the way TCU did, to play how they have played teams all year long um, and, and watched them enough to know that offensively, very good. 
but they are not just a team that is um, that, that is an offensive name. That They are not just your typical standard-bearing Big 12 team. And uh, I, I've got to credit a TCU coaching staff. I've got to credit how they did it and um, say that they belong. But Alabama never belonged. Not after the loss to Tennessee. Uh, that was clear as day. And Bryce Young had the injury for a little while, and I think you could truly doubt how good and how special that Alabama team was. It, the the real chaos is, you know, if 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 it was USC that lost close and TCU got blown out, then okay, we might have a little bit of a different conversation. But Alabama was, to me, never going to be in there. It was always going to be some version of the five. It's just who drops if someone loses, and how does Ohio State find their way in? And Ohio State did. So, um, yeah, this is not uh, this is not um, this is not an Alabama thing, not at all. Forget it. Forget Alabama. Don't have them in the conversation. They because they absolutely weren't. Our text line is at eight zero eight two nine six fourteen twenty. Coming up next, a uh, tough game for Tua Tonga Vailoa. Although that was not the big story yesterday in Miami's game against the San Francisco Forty ers um, but I think Tua did drop in one area, and I don't I don't want this to be the whole big hot take thing. Um, but the whole narrative around him and him in the big game, how do we address it after Sunday? And how do we address the San Francisco 49ers after Sunday? That coming up in a little bit. Uh, first, our M. Dyer Global scoreboard, which is brought to you by M. Dyer Global, moving Hawaii into the future. Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers up 3-0 on the New Orleans Saints. They've got 153 to go in the first quarter. That game's on ESPN television. Uh, you can hear it on our sister station, CBS 1500. By the way, Aaron Judge is rocking a Mike Evans jersey. He's in Tampa. Let's start a rumor that's totally unfounded. Aaron Judge is in Tampa because he's going to sign with the Tampa Bay Rays for 12 years and $675 million. And will be there when Tampa Bay finally owns opens its new stadium in 2028. There are plans for that. Um, it's not happening. Don't listen to me. But he is in Florida for the winter meetings, which is actually why he's there. Um, and we don't know where he's going to go. Yankees, Giants, wild card team, maybe the Bucks. I don't know. But he's there. Uh, and he's having fun. It's actually because Mike Evans wore an Aaron Judge jersey. Um, you know, last time, I think it was when Aaron Judge broke the record. So Mike Evans wore his jersey. So Aaron Judge is actually uh, returning the favor. That's all it is. No, uh, no hidden agendas and innuendos out of that. College basketball number uh, 18, Gonzaga is hosting Kent State later. 22nd ranked San Diego State is hosting Troy. A little bit later on. By the way, if you're wondering, Hawaii's next opponent, UNLV, still in the others receiving votes category, off to an 8-0 start. Best start in what, the last 10 years. And uh, NBA basketball right now. Uh, Charlotte Hornets up 88-84 in the Los Angeles Clippers. 41.3 seconds to go in the third quarter. 237 left in the third. Bucks 84, Magic 67. That's your M. Dyer Global scoreboard brought to you by M. Dyer Global. Always on the move. So what did I? What list did I knock to a tongue of Iloa down from? That's next on ESPN Honolulu. 
Hey, Jerry texts in to our Your Sponsor Here hotline at 808-296-1420. Alabama would beat TCU by 21-plus points in a neutral field. I don't think so. Um, not to say that I don't think Alabama would beat TCU, period. Uh, but I think TCU has a better chance than you think. And again, um, this Alabama is not your normal Alabama. Hence, Alabama's resume. Just take a look at it. You'll understand. Um, and, you know, watch TCU. I think you'd have a better understanding of uh, of TCU's resume if you if, if you watch them play a little bit more and, and, and the grit and that toughness of that team. Um, I think TCU's a lot better than, than people give them credit for. You know why? It's... Uh, the Big 12 has has not always given us a really good team to get behind. The Big 12 usually gives us a team that we think can contend, and then they later pretend. Um, but we don't always get a team that's got that looks like TCU. You know, we usually get oh Oklahoma can chuck it down the field, and they're you know a whole bunch of offense and 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 whatever. We, we usually get a lot of that. Um, TCU is not that. I feel like a little bit, I, I feel like I'm watching more of a blue collar team when I watch TCU, uh, which is not normal for the kind of teams that win the Big 12, 12 every year. The Oklahomas, and I would say Texas, but uh, Texas hasn't been as consistent recently. Uh, but usually it's Oklahoma we talk about, and that team was not very good this year. Not even close. Uh, one of the other big headlines, and Steve Cofield's going to join us in about 15 minutes uh, from ESPN Las Vegas. We'll talk about uh, men's basketball coming up in a little bit. Also, uh, that UNLV football coaching search has gotten a little wild uh, with some of the names that are being thrown out there. Why? Don't know. They apparently don't know uh, the names that have been uh, that have been rumored. But uh, we'll, we'll talk with Steve Cofield in about 15 minutes. A storyline from yesterday in the National Football League, a lot of them came from one game. Jimmy Garoppolo gets hurt. He's done for the year. Tua Tonga-Vailoa, that was one of his least accurate games. Uh, Miami Dolphins lose to a San Francisco 49ers team run by a third-string quarterback. Overused headline, by the way. And anybody looking to pounce on Tua um, had their wish. They, they had their wish yesterday. With Tua going 18-33, yeah, he threw for 295 yards and a couple of touchdowns. There were times where he was wildly inaccurate uh, for the Miami Dolphins. Of course, he did leave the game with an ankle injury. They said he could have come back. They didn't. Um, and, and, and credit Mike McDaniel for not bringing him back in. Dolphins lose 33-17. Um, I'm not going to make a big deal about one game for Tua because... Um, they are, I mean, that's what, his first loss starting? Well, he didn't technically, actually, take it back. Everybody's been making a big deal about games in which he starts and finishes that he's undefeated. Technically, he didn't finish this game. Tua is in, Tua is undefeated when he starts and finishes a football game. Maybe this was all by design. He got hurt. Mike McDaniel thought, yeah, I'm going to keep this streak intact so Tua's not going to have a loss next to his name because he didn't finish it. I hope you get all the sarcasm in the world thrown that way because the L still go next to his name even if he didn't finish the game. He played enough. It's still an L 
for Tua Tagovailoa as the starter. I do knock him down on a list, though. For those that care about lists, I'm not reading another website's list. I'm giving you my list. Going into this weekend, Tua was my MVP of the National Football League. Um, Partly because of what they were when he wasn't playing, but also how good he has looked um, when he has played. And I'm not going to make big sweeping things about them losing in San Francisco. San Francisco's, I, I think, got some big questions to answer now here in in, uh, in this off week. I'm not going to make big sweeping things about the Dolphins. Um, I still believe the Miami Dolphins are a Super Bowl caliber team. Um, I still believe that they have an opportunity to win the AFC East. And I cannot wait. Prime time, two Saturdays from now. Uh, their game against the Buffalo Bills is on a Saturday. They announced the Saturday slate for NFL Network. Uh, and for us, uh, we'll have it on CBS 1500 when, uh, when when the Bills and the Dolphins play. That could very well help us get closer to deciding that division in Week 15. Uh, but uh, I will knock him down on my MVP list. Um, you know, I, I I have to give credit partly – it's Tua having an off day on the kind of game that you need to play your best. You know, that is, it wasn't a national televised game. It was a regional game, but it was a game against a postseason candidate uh, and legitimately one of the, at the time, top three teams in the NFC that I think you needed to show off your best stuff against. And he didn't have it. He had enough, but he didn't have it. Uh, if I had to give you my top of the line in the MVP race right now, I'm giving you Jalen Hurts. Uh, and, at, and at some point in time, as you know, we, we've got to give credit as much as sometimes we don't like to. We got to give credit to the quarterback that is on the best team in the National Football League right now. Um, Jalen Hurts threw for 380 against Tennessee. And that was a convincing, convincing win. And I and I realize Philadelphia has had some less than convincing wins recently, um, but he did have Aaron Rodgers' number, and he made sure everybody knew it when he ran for a buck 57. He had four total touchdowns on Sunday against Tennessee. Um, he has a total of 29 touchdowns here in the span of uh, 12 games. That includes the, the nine rushing touchdowns he has. I... Patrick Mahomes has been good. Tua Tonga-Vailoa has been really good. Tua's at number two on my list right now. But Jalen Hurts has been the best story and has been the best player so far in this league. And let's also remember here, Jalen Hurts gets sacked a lot. And I didn't realize this. Um, he has been sacked what, 30 times this year in 12 games. And um, it's it's amazing to see what he has done, even though I, I, I believe he doesn't have the best protection of, uh, of a quarterback in the National Football League. But I got to give it to Jalen Hurts right now. Uh, Tua was my MVP favorite going into the weekend. He's not anymore. Um, you can't have kind of an okay performance against San Francisco and and stay on top there 
Uh, not talking about the injury, but you can't have that kind of performance and stay in the race uh, at, at number one against the Niners. Tanner, ask the question you just put on the board uh, regarding a couple of wide receivers. Yeah, so when do we uh, start talking about Tyreek Hill and Justin Jefferson? Because at this point, we do see the quarterbacks that have entered the list and will mm-hmm. stay on the list. In Patrick Mahomes, uh, Tua, Jalen. Justin Jefferson right now is the best receiver in the NFC on the best team in the NFC. Yeah. Currently, the Vikings are at 10-2. and two. It's the NFC's best-kept secret somehow. Um, and somehow, Ty- yeah. And Tyree Kill, like we're talking about Tua struggling, Tyree Kill's still doing his thing. Mm-hmm. So at what point do we start looking over at some wide receivers for MVP consideration? Justin Jefferson's number three on my list. Um, my list right now is Hertz one, Tua two, Justin Jefferson three. You know, the tough part is in both of those instances, um, you have to ask yourself, you have wide receivers who are ultra-talented, ultra-ultra-talented, and I'm not going to take anything away from Tyree Kill. Um, in Jefferson's case, maybe, and maybe this is my bias against Kirk Cousins, because I've never really trusted Kirk Cousins, and I think most people would understand why. Um, Jefferson's been amazing. He is such a playmaker. Tyreek Hill's a playmaker, but Jefferson, to me, is more of the revelation this year. Hill is kind of the standard, and he's doing so going from Mahomes to Tonga Vailoa. Um, and I'll, I'll throw, again, out that when Tua was hurt, um, Miami's offense didn't flow the same. I don't have that same sample size to work with in Minnesota, and it may not be fair, but I can't put Tyree Kill on that same line as Justice, uh, Justin Jefferson. Um, not to say that he's not talented. Right now, in an MVP race, most valuable, I have to have Jefferson at three, and then I have to put Tyree Kill a little farther down um, just because I don't know his value. And I believe, as long as I believe that Tua Tonga-Vailoa is more valuable than Tyree Kill, there is going to be some separation between there. Um, I, I can't put, in that instance, the wide receiver over the quarterback. Uh, but I, I do believe in in having some uh, some wide receivers enter the chat, and uh, especially Justin Jefferson, absolutely deserves to be in that conversation. All right, uh, coming up in about five minutes uh, after a Sports Center update, and I think we've got our first look at traffic. Has Gary Cooley gotten out of the water yet? Um, oh, he's still prepping for surf. He may just miss surf entirely because he's doing too much prep. We ask our host to do prep, and here he is doing prep, and he might just have all that prep work for nothing. Um, but we'll talk with Steve Cofield coming up on the other side. Uh, UNLV basketball, that's Hawaii's next opponent. But that football surge, man. Um, ever since they, they got rid of Marcus Arroyo, what happens there with the football surge? That's coming up in just a little while. Kai Kamaka the third from Pearl City's on the Bellator undercard coming up this weekend. We'll talk with him coming up in a little bit. Uh, but Sports Center is on the way next. I'm Josh Pacheco in for Chris and Gary. This is the Sports Animals, and you are listening to ESPN Honolulu.
If you play fantasy football and you started Taysom Hill, he just caught a touchdown. Uh, thought that might make your Monday feel better if you're on a team that needed Taysom Hill to be productive. Uh, 7-3 Saints up on the Bucks. Uh, they're midway through the second quarter. Another score update on that game coming up in a Sports Center update. At the bottom of the hour, I'm Josh Pacheco in for Chris and Gary. It is the Sports Animals here on ESPN Honolulu at 92.7 FM and 14.20 AM. All of our guests, when they appear, they do so, courtesy of the Aloha Kia hotline. At Aloha Kia, you know a guy, uh, Steve Cofield, joins me now uh, from ESPN Las Vegas. Uh, he just got off the air a little while ago, and uh, he, of course, is uh, broadcast UNLV men's basketball and football, and uh, I-, I wanted to get a good opportunity to chat with him before I get up there. I'll fly in, uh, fly out tonight, get in tomorrow morning. Uh, but before I actually ask you about basketball, I'm, I'm kind of curious. I mean, you do a show every day. Um, it's been several days since Marcus Arroyo uh, was was let go as UNLV's football head coach. Uh, this head coaching search has been kind of wild, hasn't it? Well, that's an interesting question because here's the here's the thing. There's really been nothing wild about it because UNLV has been completely quiet since last Monday. They there haven't been any leaks about candidates. There haven't been any leaks about interviews. Nothing. Zippo. It's been a vault. Um, the problem is social media, and because UNLV hasn't really said anything to the traditional media, social media has run wild. There are some new influencers, people just getting into the media, who have put out names and claim that there are front runners. Um, I try to do my part on the air and on Twitter saying that person's not a candidate. They haven't contacted him, and they haven't interviewed him, and they haven't spoken to him, but. You know, you know what happens when there's a, a you know a week long delay, and I don't, I don't even think it's that long. Um, names start getting thrown around, and then fans take it like, well, these guys were legit candidates, so they must be turning down UNLV. Listen, this is the way. <clears throat> this is the way the last two searches have gone for their big programs, and that was with Desiree Reed Francois, the AD, who left for Missouri. Um, we really didn't know that Marcus Arroyo was going to be the head coach until the very last minute. There were no leaks. That's the way she operated. We had no idea her basketball hire T.J. Altsberger was going to be the guy until like a half a day before. And Eric Harper is not a disciple. He's a current AD. He's not a disciple of uh, Desiree Reed Francois, but he's operating in the same exact way. And they don't want any leaks. They're not giving out any information. I mean, hell, I, you know, I work on the broadcast as a sideline reporter and I've, I haven't gotten anything from the school. So it's one of these weird things where, the rumor mill is turning, and that becomes truth somehow, but it's not really from anyone who's actually connected to the program. So maybe, maybe it's coaches kind of feeding their, their way into searches just to get their name out there. We've had that happen here in the past, or agents are at work. So it's been, it's been really weird, but the way I look at it, I was told they would have a hire done by today or tomorrow. Um, the update I got today was maybe uh, a press conference on Wednesday. So I think they're close to getting it done. And I actually, I believe, Josh, that they had their one or two uh, candidates that they were interested in, you know, kind of narrowed down like last Wednesday, and they had a name ready to go on Thursday, and I think they've just been ironing out the details. You know, and I and I respect the the no leaks policy, or maybe not a policy, but just the way that 
the professional way it's it's going about. But it's those, like you said, those influencers that, that force people like the Bruce Feldmans to go out and yep. reach out to some of those names, like an Ed Ogeron, for example, and have to get Ed Ogeron on the record and saying, uh, no, I haven't been offered and not interested. Uh, right. you know, things like that. So, but I'm curious. And then, you know, can I, can yeah, I of course. Then, then, almost, then fans almost take that, like, Ed Ogeron dissed UNLV. Like, mm-hmm. he was... He was never considered and never part of the process. So I, it's, I don't know. It's just a keep going. It's a weird mentality. I'm, I apologize for cutting you off. Never apologize. If if you had to be the person who made the hire, what kind of coach would you be hiring? I would hire um, someone like Ed Orgeron, but without all the baggage, mm. um, which is hard because a lot of the power, a lot of the guys who started a group of five uh, had success, made their way to power five, got fired a little bit early, got that massive buyout. A lot of them. There's something happened that was a little bit weird that got them fired. Aside from impatience, like I thought Tom Herman would be a really good candidate, but I apparently FAU is a place he wanted to go and follow kind of the path of Lane Kiffin. But it's guys like that um, who I think at least have proven already that they can be eight, nine-game winners and run a really good program, a group of five, but also have the benefit of getting and, – and you guys are in the same situation with, with money. You and Ovi had some money. But they don't. They're not going to pay a coach four or five million dollars. But if you have someone who was at Group of Five, got the big buyout at Power Five, um, you know, and is sitting on whatever they got, you know, ten, fourteen, fifteen. I mean, we, you know, we're seeing some of these coaches get twenty million dollars in buyouts. I thought that that would be the list of candidates, and I think they have, I think they have a few names in mind. Um, but I don't think it's going to be a coordinator. I think it would. It would. Eric Harper didn't 100% say that he was he wanted an experienced head coach. I mean, he kind of it was about 90%. He left it open a little bit, but I, I can't see them pulling the plug on Arroyo, a former coordinator, um, to just go right back to the well with another coordinator. Um, I mean, in the end, you know, these fans are gonna have to tolerate whoever they hire. But I just don't. I don't think he would do it. I don't think it would be a good look. Yeah, for sure. By the way, I never got to ask you. You were here uh, for for the UNLV Hawaii game, and I know when we chatted, you you asked about the sideline experience. So, uh, what, what was yeah. what was your experience like? And did you get to eat any of the food in the sideline? <laughs> I thought it was awesome. Yeah, I got a, uh, I got I got some very basic stuff, just some like fried rice. But my buddies got some shrimp. They got I think someone got a poke bowl. Someone got some orange chicken. I thought the setup was awesome. I mean, the only downer was I thought I was going to get electrocuted at some point because. <laughs> Man, the downpours a couple of times, and there was a downpour. I think end of third quarter, where I just had to run away from the field and get just get some cover. So I didn't even know what was going on. And I and I when I came back, I noticed that Timmy Chang had actually called a timeout um, to kind of wait out the rain, and then they kicked the field goal. But on the game itself, I think that that was the game. I and mean, I think Eric Harper was thinking about you know what the future looked like, and if Arroyo was going to be the guy, and the fact that they they couldn't you only know, went down there and just didn't play well, and frankly did get outworked. By Hawaii, I think that game kind of sealed it, and then they really didn't look good against Nevada. And Nevada, arguably, is a worse team than Hawaii. And it's not to you know diss the uh, the Hawaiian team because they they did play really hard. But when when they barely skated by or barely got by Nevada, I think it was the final straw for uh, Harper, who you know he's he didn't hire Marcus Arroyo, and um, I think he had some. I think I know he has some good names in mind. We'll see if he can come up with you know one here to take over the program and get it done by tomorrow or Wednesday. Steve Cofield joining us from ESPN Las Vegas. He just got off the air a little while ago, uh, part of the basketball and football broadcast teams there with UNLV. Uh, I asked him to join us uh, to, to talk about basketball, and we're uh, six minutes in, and only now we'll get to basketball. But uh, uh, this is such a great start for the UNLV team that Hawaii will get to see on Wednesday. Best start in, in 10 years. How has Coach Kruger's team been able to accomplish that in, in your view? Uh, consistency and most important, defense. I mean, he, 
you could see when he was putting this roster together, because this is two years now that he's been back at UNLV as the head coach, uh, you could see that he's going to use the transfer portal a lot. He's got a ton of connections from his days as an assistant, or as an assistant at Oklahoma. His dad's, you know, dozens and dozens and dozens of years. Um, so they have a lot of connections. Um, they're getting, you know, good tips on players. And the other thing is the Mountain West Conference, believe it or not, is a defensive conference. And it all starts with San Diego State because everyone's trying to build a roster to beat San Diego State. And San Diego State for 20 years, they've been so good consistently because almost every year they're a Ken Palm top 40 defense. And their guys play hard. They buy in. If they don't buy in, they don't play. If you you know if you want to play just offense and not D, you don't play. And Kruger went out and just got a bunch of really good, experienced players who all played in that, like, you know, maybe third or fourth option on their team. So they were expected to play defense at the previous stop. And he's just put together this roster where he's got a little bit of depth, but he's cut it, kind of cut it down to seven or eight players. But they switch everything, um, and they just play great defense. And, and frankly, I watched a couple of games where uh, they played Minnesota at the SoCal Challenge in Dana Point, and they broke um, Minnesota, a Big Ten team. Like, Minnesota just got so frustrated trying to start their offense from so far out um, that they broke probably last eight minutes in the first half, and that's when UNLV was able to bust the game open. And then the other day, they played a San Diego team with a bunch of guys who can score, uh, good size. Um, Steve Lavins used the portal pretty well building his team, but his team completely quit playing defense. Uh, Same thing, you know, late in the first half, and it got blown open to a 21-point lead. At one point, it was 31 points. I remember looking up at the scoreboard, and it was – at that point, it was like 27. I think it was like 90 to 63. So it's mostly defense. And then the other night, they just happened to hit a bunch of threes, which are not a great three-point shooting team. But right now, he's got them bought in. They just take one game at a time, and they play hard defense. And, and a bunch of the teams that have played him are like, wow, we haven't played defense like this or against a defense like this all year. I, I, I believe UNLV is the best three-point shooting team Hawaii will have faced uh, so far okay. this season, you know, shooting 36%. Yeah. But I was amazed by the stat. I mean, to, to you know, focus on what you were talking about on defense, uh, 17 turnovers at least, uh, you know, for every opponent that UNLV has played this year. And, and you know, we've seen Hawaii yeah. turn the ball over an average of about 10 times a game. 17 in a game is, uh, is an awful lot. That is, that is incredibly tough defense. That's insane. I think I think six of the eight or five of the eight they've they've caused over twenty three turnovers. I think their high was twenty seven turnovers by the opponent in the game. It's I, I think it's it's impossible to understand it until you're on the floor. They just they have a first of all they they got a kid from Colorado, Eli Parquet, who's a, he's like a five point per game scorer. He can slash a little bit, but he plays defense and he was a an all Pac twelve um, you know first team defender. It just wasn't healthy. Last year, but he's good-sized dude, six three, six four, and they put him on whoever's bringing the ball up, and he'll rotate with one or two other players, and they try to have someone on the ball against that point guard bringing the ball up the entire time, and then they try to push the offense out. So your offense, even if you have good post players, like Minnesota was gigantic, but if all of your guards are trying to start things and you know they're 26 feet from the basket, you, you can't really make entry passes. So it's just been it's been good defense. And then the other thing is they're their, their guy with the most upside, and frankly, he was our best defender a year ago, Keyshawn Gilbert, who's a local 6'3", 6'4", guard. He put on really good weight in the offseason, and he has gone from a guy where you're like, please don't shoot, to, yeah, dude, take any take anything you want, because he's shooting really well from three. He is 
he's scary physically because he's, it's not like he's 230 pounds like Matt Bradley at San Diego State, but he does not care going into the lane and throwing his body into someone. He's thrown a lot of fouls and finishes. Um, but, yeah, it's it's mostly defense. And then it's maturity, too. They got they got a kid, uh, E.J. Harkless from Oklahoma, who's bounced around. Um, but, E.J., it feels like you're talking to a 25-year-old with E.J. Because every win, he's just like, yeah, okay, we expect to do this. But you watch him on the floor, he's just, you know, our uh, color voice, Curtis Terry, has branded his basketball kind of old man basketball. You know, he gets in the lane, pivots, pump fakes, up and unders, all this stuff. They're just a super mature team right now, and they're buying into it. I mean, if you can get a team to buy in to play this kind of defense eight games in, you probably have something. Last guy I'll ask you about, uh, the former Hawaii guard, uh, Justin Webster. Uh, yeah, I mean, and, and while you know UNLV put up that big win against San Diego, that was Webster's biggest night of the year, going perfect from beyond the arc, going 4-4. Four of four. Yep. He finished with a, with a season-high 16 points for him, but he's been coming off the bench. Uh, in, I mean, how would you say his role is any different than what it was last year? Um, it's about the same. I mean, he's expected to come in. First and foremost, again, it's defense. So they had a little foul trouble a couple of games or two, three games back, and he came in and he filled some important minutes. But, no, he comes on, he plays pretty good defense. I mean, obviously he shot a lot more and had the ball in his hands a lot more when he played uh, in Hawaii. But he's cool with the role, you know, and he uh, he got off to a slow start, but he got it going against the NAIA team like Pacific, and his confidence carried over, and he was perfect in this last game. And if they – if they get the rest of the way, if Justin Webster can come off the bench and shoot, you know, 40% from three, and then they got another little guard that they brought in who's like 5'11", 205, this kid Jackie Johnson, who's kind of a modern-day microwave, comes off the bench and just scores points and bunches. If he can shoot the three, I mean, if, if this team, right now they're shooting 36% from three, um, I didn't think they could do it. If, they, if they're shooting 36% from three and playing this kind of defense, like I said, they're going to win a bunch of games. And, uh, yeah, what, the biggest thing about Webster, not to keep going on and on, Kruger talks about him all the time as one of his most consistent guys. He says he shows up to practice, whether he had a good game or a bad game, the uh, the day before, he's consistent. And uh, and he's got a group that, you know, these guys all, sh- you know, they come out, they work. Has, there's no ups and downs. So he's built a nice roster here of uh, mature players. Awesome. Uh, Steve Cofield, ESPN Las Vegas. I know what my uh, rental car will be on uh, when I uh, get in tomorrow morning. And I imagine I will uh, I will see you. Are you going to be at the Dollar Loan Center? I will I will be there. I was over there today. They did a shoot around, but I'll be there. I will see you then. Thanks so much. Okay. Thank you. That is Steve Cofield. That's a, a, a really good radio show that he helms, uh, Cofield & Company on ESPN Las Vegas. He joins us like all of our guests do, uh, courtesy of our Aloha Kia hotline at Aloha Kia, you know a guy. that you know. He talks about defense, and, and yeah, the stat is 8-0. All eight opponents that UNLV has played have turned the ball over at minimum 17 times in a game. Um, that is a, a stat that puts them on the higher end nationally. Uh, that's worrisome for a Hawaii offense that seemed flustered and taken out of quote-unquote system. I'm going to use a Tiff Wells volleyball term. Um, kind of taken out of its own system by Texas A&M Commerce. Um, and, and if UNLV defense plays the way that it normally does, that can be really problematic for uh, uh, for Hawaii's offense, who hopes to bounce back after a really difficult loss uh, on Wednesday. Uh, we'll have it for you. Uh, coverage begins with countdown to kickoff, uh, countdown to tip off at four. And we kick the ball around every once in a while. The referees blow it dead, call it a kickball, get the shot clock to 20. Uh, countdown to tip off at four. I'll see you from the Dollar Loan Center at about 4.50 Wednesday 
on ESPN Honolulu. Traffic here. This is the Sports Animals. You're listening to ESPN Honolulu. All together now. I can just imagine a glass of eggnog. I've almost finished like my sixth different brand of eggnog this holiday season. What's so funny about that, Tanner? Thought, was, was, that the, was that the left field turn you were not expecting? From you were thinking glass of eggnog watching uh, holiday reruns and television. Maybe uh, that Rudolph special that CBS has aired for about a gazillion years. Now they have a new one. And then 15 minutes later, you're laying on the recliner. This song is still playing. You've got that holiday, that Rudolph holiday classic still on television. And that glass of eggnog is slowly spilling as you're falling asleep in the recliner. That's what this reminds me of. But I, I'm what, what? What did you find the most funny in that? Is after I mentioned the eggnog. I don't know. I think six was was the excessive number in my brain. Excessive. Okay. It's the fifth of December. Eggnog season started early in my household because uh, for some reason Safeway was selling eggnog in late October, and I have zero complaints about it. Zero. Um. But they were selling I, – I think I bought, like, my first thing of eggnog on October 23rd or something, which is, like, a new record. It's like when um, Halloween things are being sold in June. But yet, this is good because eggnog should be year-round, in my opinion. Um, I have had – and I could probably – name all the different ones I have. I have I have one left in the fridge and it's uh actually I can't name this one. Uh but it's like one of those one of those ones you'd find at Whole Foods on the on the sweeter side. Very good. Uh it's in a red carton if you're looking for it and you need some eggnog and you need to see how many eggnogs can I have before eggnog season is over. Um see if you can beat my six by going into trying one that they have at uh, at the Whole Foods, if uh, if you want one of the quote unquote healthier ones, our uh, our text line at eight zero eight two nine six fourteen twenty. I don't think it's healthy if you if it's just from Whole Foods. No, it's not. That's why I I had a little bit of a slight little sarcasm, um, you know, just because hey, Whole Foods. It's um, green. The yes. color is green there, so it must be healthier. Surely, surely. You know, one of the names that was thrown out for uh, UNLV's head coaching position by uh, probably a lot of those like Twitter warriors that want to be taken seriously and probably paid eight bucks for a Twitter blue check, Deion Sanders. He obviously is not going to be taking the UNLV job, as uh, Steve Cofield just said a little while ago. They might have a hire to announce by tomorrow or by Wednesday. But it won't be prime because if you've noticed, he's at Colorado now. Um, he's taken the job there. He's brought his son to play quarterback. And uh, although he did say, oh, but he's got to earn it. 
And apparently his other son could play safety, although uh, he never got the same kind of recognition that his brother did. Awkward. Uh, but Prime's in Colorado to take on literally the worst program in the nation. And I'm happy for Prime. I'm happy for Deion Sanders to get an opportunity at a Power 5 program. But I have what I think is going to be the wake-up call of the decade in college football. And it's going to be a wake-up call that will be staring right at Deion Sanders. That's next after traffic. I really can't stay. Baby, it's cold outside. I gotta go away. Baby, it's cold outside. This evening has been. I'm hoping that you dropped so in. I thought there was a movement to ban this song. Hold your hands. Remember? Just like that. There, well, the the old version of this song about kind of the the way the guy uh, tries to persuade the woman, if you will. Remember re- remember that? I, I thought there were some... I think this is also the original song. We just never get that far. Oh, that's that's also... Very... Is, is that the original? I thought the original sounded different. That sounded much... Uh... It probably has the same words. Well, it definitely has the same words. Just modernly sung. Yeah. I know they, may, they try to make a newer version of it, but All unfortunately, it does not sound as good as the original. No. And that's the, uh, that's the issue. I like how this song sounds, and I know what it sounds like. So any attempts into changing it just sounds weird. Yeah. Also, at the same time, the original words of the song sounds weird, and thus I just don't listen to the words, and I'm like, ooh, that tune, Mm -hmm. like that. Yep. Uh, Texter from the 636. We mentioned eggnog last segment. Texter says, Safeway always has eggnog in October. I don't know why I've missed that for so long then. I've always seen it in November, but maybe it's just when I go to the store. Um, Safeway always has eggnog in October. Six is nothing. Six different brands. That's less than one per week, which is my average. IMO, Bud's is the absolute best. Bud's, by the way, which you can find in the blue, uh, not, not in cartons anymore. It's like in the plastic packaging uh, that you can find in the refrigerated aisle there at, uh, there at Safeway. Um, I feel like this is going to be like a whose eggnog's better kind of conversation. Which I, eggnog is going to be sponsoring the uh, text line? <laughs> you know what? We've got an opening to sponsor the text line. I, uh, you know, if, if Southern Comfort non-alcoholic version of eggnog wants to sponsor the text line, go for it. That, by the way, is, uh, is, is my favorite uh, version of eggnog, the non-alcoholic version. Thank you, Southern Comfort. Which you can find in the black, um, not plastic, thin uh, carton at your local grocery store. It's worth a try. I still remember when I was younger, my parents would only let me have a small amount of eggnog, like like one of the, like a small glass. They wouldn't let me have as much as I have now, uh, because uh, hey, no one tells me how much eggnog I can or can't drink. It's my decision. But um, they used to say, "Well, you can't have as much eggnog because there's alcohol in it." But I don't remember, and 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 maybe maybe they told me the truth. Maybe they lied. 
because back then it was the metal cold eggnog that they said I couldn't have that much of because it had alcohol in it. Um, I don't re- I don't believe the current metal gold version of eggnog has alcohol in it. I don't know that it ever has actually had alcohol in it unless you you know did that yourself. So I'm kind of, I've, I've been left wondering in the last few years um, whether I have been lied to about why I was kept from having more eggnog. Um, maybe it was their way of just trying to keep me from having the, uh, the, 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 the like of what I currently do, trying to avoid that um, to make me make healthier choices like drink water um, or, or something that's not eggnog by saying, oh, it has alcohol in it. When I don't know if it ever had. But you might remember because I was like a little kid at the time and I wasn't reading nutritional facts on a carton of eggnog at the age of, what, five. I was reading the phone book at like the age of three. And apparently people marveled at the fact that I could read names and addresses out of a phone book. By the way, for, for, those, uh, for those of you sitting in your mom or dad's car right now, a phone book is something – that people from the phone company would toss uh, to your driveway when they would be driving around your neighborhood. Sometimes, many times, it would be in like a plastic bag and it'd be really thick and your parents would get home and they'd pick up the plastic bag with the phone book in it and then they'd do either one of two things. A, throw away the plastic bag without even opening it or B, actually keep the phone book around for a little while inside the house. That's what a phone book is. Apparently, it used to be something that you had to have. Like, you, you had to have a phone book. I don't know if it – I haven't seen a phone book in a long time, so I don't know if it's a, a real thing that you're mandated to have at your house. But um, I used to read that when I was younger, um, and I was told that I was pretty proficient at it. Nutritional facts, not so much, and let's not even try. Uh, we don't. We don't need to go through the phosphates and anything else uh, that isn't anything over the air. We were talking about Deion Sanders a moment ago, um, taking the job at Colorado. Jeff Texan says Prime should be a success at Colorado. Hope he's got good OCs and DCs. I, I don't know what's going to happen on defense. Uh, apparently, he's hiring an offensive coordinator from Kent State. Um, Willie Taggart, who previously coached at Florida State and FAU. Uh, is expected to join uh, Deion Sanders' staff. That's according to On3 Sports. There are lots of rumors out there. Um, I don't know what his staff is going to look like. Uh, One thing that I think I can trust is that Deion Sanders will try to put good people around him. Um, I don't believe that Deion Sanders is like a know-it-all kind of guy. There is a certain amount of humility, and you can look at his staff at, at Jackson State too. There's a certain amount of humility to have when you have experienced people around you that will make you better. Um, And I will respect the heck out of that for him. And if he continues to do that at Colorado, same thing. That Deion Sanders won't ever try to be a know-it-all guy that will put people who he may believe is smarter than him or can give him good mentorship or guide him. Uh, to be a part of his staff and 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 make him better, and if he does that, great. Um, but I, I, I'm very cautious about how successful Deion Sanders can be for two reasons, 
And no, this is this is not about his speech to the players yesterday, that viral video that went out about telling those players in, you know, in, in, in the room, you know, basically daring them to transfer out because he's got a bag. It's a Louie. And, uh, and, and for those that don't know, Louie, your wife might be asking for one for Christmas. It's a Louis Vuitton. Um, basically, he's got his. He's going to run his program his way. And um, if you're if you're not down with that, then he's basically telling them, get out. Get in the transfer portal. Be like the almost 700 players who are currently in the transfer portal right now and join them and be a part of what you want to be a part of if this program you don't believe is, is not for you. Um, my worry is twofold. A... I don't know if Deion Sanders will ever get a chance to really turn Colorado around. In fact, part of me doesn't really believe that he's going to Colorado to turn that program around. Part of me believes that, and I shouldn't say a part of me, a good good chunk of me believes that this is not about going to Colorado to make Colorado a Pac-12 contender to, uh, you know, completely flip things upside down. I mean, it's already going to happen. You know, they're going to lower the standards for, for for players to be a part of that program. You know, they're going to do some administrative things. So, I mean, there, there's a buy-in already from Colorado. He's accomplished already some of that. Just nothing to do with anything on the field, uh, but just administration and how they view that program. But... Um, I believe this is a purely NFL play for Deion Sanders. This is not about, hey, I want to completely turn around Colorado. This is about, hey, um, I'm going to make the move that moves me up. He uh, put himself and put Jackson State on the map for what he did. And Deion's got his detractors. He's got people who look at him and and see what he's done as a as a positive. Um, but this is strictly NFL. He's going to be in an NFL or near an NFL city in Denver. By the way, the Broncos may be looking for a head coach very, very soon. Nathaniel Hackett's not getting it done. And if Deion Sanders is moving the needle... It may ha- he may go to an NFL job, and it may have nothing to do with whether Colorado's a nine-win team in two years. It could very well be because people just look at him as a mind, a guy who people want to be around, who people want to play for, etc., and that uh, he may be a name that you just cannot ignore in the NFL. This happens every once in a while, and he's a former NFL player. It's not like he is, you know, a nobody. You know, you don't take this route. You don't go to, of all places, Colorado. When he's had the success at Jackson State, you know, they're going to the Celebration Bowl um, this year. And I, and I have mixed reactions on how he's handled his, his end of time at Jackson State. You know, I have a lot of respect for how he took that team into a room and basically laid it all out and shot it to him straight about him leaving. Tons of respect for that. I don't have a lot of respect for 
him and the entire team, and I see you guys on the phones, we'll get to you in a moment at 808-296-1420. I don't have a lot of respect for him and the entire team skipping out on media obligations after their last game, um, you know, and, and, and not being accountable there. Um, you know, that's something that you got to do. You do it every game and, and you have to continue to do no matter what the circumstance is. And I don't have a ton of respect for that. I have a lot of respect for the fact that he shot to the guys at Colorado straight. Hey, if this isn't for you, go. I'm going to find my guys. I got my bag and I'm going to run a program this particular way. This is what I'm going to do. If there's anything Deion Sanders, I take away. He is straight and honest. It may be tough for some, but he is. I just don't have any faith that Colorado is going to be spending the kind of money to bring him in to think that this is going to be transformational. Where he runs a program, he's there for three, four, five years. Colorado's all of a sudden competing for a Pac-12 championship. They're in better hands and they're no longer a bottom 10 team. To me, it's oh, Colorado starts winning. Dion's in a great place. NFL teams start to call, and the moment the right NFL team calls, Dion's out. And Colorado, making strides, falls back down. You know, the other thing, and, and I, this was part of my tease, Dion, um, for everything that he is and everything that I like about Dion Sanders, this is the newsflash that Colorado's going to have to understand. Dion Sanders will turn around some things, One thing he's not turning around is Colorado's fortunes. And that's not a knock on Dion. Um, To me, that is just purely situational with coaching. That is purely situational with the way the conference is. I don't believe Dion turns a place around like that. I think he turns around culture. I think he makes an athletic department think twice about what it's doing. I think he makes people listen and learn, and understand, and challenge people. I love all of those things. I don't think he changes whether you become a winning program or not. And for all of this hype that he's getting, and deservedly so, and that Colorado is getting, and deservedly so, this is going to fall flat at the end, because Dion's going to come out looking good at the end, I believe, because he's going to move up the coaching ladder, I believe, in a couple of years, and Colorado's going to be right back to where they've been. Bottom 10. Kimo, thank you for calling in. How are you this afternoon? Hey, Josh. I'm good, man. Thanks for taking my call. Yeah. Um, yeah, The the Dion thing, uh, I haven't really followed his coaching. Um, I mean, I know who he is and how successful he's been. But how much of his success at Jackson State has been, uh, he's just been able to recruit a higher level of player who – who are they're basically like a, a Division One squad playing against Division Two guys? There's some um, truth to that. Do you yeah. See that? Yeah. I, I mean, you know, now he's got to go against the big boys. He's got to recruit the big boys and play the big boys. And I think with the uh, with the NIL and the transfer portal, I think a lot of kids they're they're not going to be jumping to Colorado just because Dion's there the way they did, you know, for Jackson State. You know, I know that there was one Colorado player to give. Dion some credit there was a Colorado player who entered the transfer portal and earlier today and this is one of their better players earlier today said um, you know what I'm going to get out of the transfer portal I'm going to stay at Colorado Uh, and they did get a five-star commitment for 2025 so it's not like um, 
you know, what it does is it makes it easier. The the playing field is not even, uh, and I feel I still think it's going to be harder to to recruit a five star player consistently. You know, at Colorado as compared to a USC or a UCLA at Oregon, and honestly, those aren't fair comparisons, and I'm not trying to make them fair. Um, but what I believe it does is by name recognition, it makes you a little it, it makes you a little closer. It gets you closer to the conversation. It makes you at least listen um, and and consider it. Where at the end of the day, I still think you're in a better position at a USC or a UCLA or at any other any of those places. But Colorado is going to try to be competitive again in that recruiting battle. I, I do agree with you on that, and I agree with you that uh, Colorado, even with Dion, won't get there. Um, they'll, they'll get a step or two up, but I think in a couple of years he's going to be gone, especially if he's. Uh, able to compete for a, a pack title uh, within the next year or two, uh, which you probably can with USC leaving, frankly. Uh, USC and UCLA going, I think that conference might be wide open for him, which I think probably helped his decision-making. It could be. I mean, keep in mind, though, and, and, and Kimo, thank you for the call. appreciate you listening, my friend. Keep in mind, uh, you also do have a Utah. Utah's been pretty good. Yeah, Washington, and, and, and Penix is coming back next year, uh, made that announcement that surprised the whole team. Uh, the uh, uh, the awards banquet, I think it was after uh, after the season. Pac-12 is not all of a sudden not good because USC and UCLA aren't going to be there. Because remember, USC and UCLA for a few years were not good. All of a sudden, one year, USC and UCLA are top 15 teams, and it's like we forgot the last few where USC and UCLA were like middlings. There are there there are lots of good, talented teams in the Pac-12, maybe not championship-caliber teams, but good teams in the Pac-12, and we ignore them. Heck, we've been talking about USC and UCLA. Do we not forget it was Utah that won the Pac-12 on Friday night, beating USC? Yet here we are talking about USC and UCLA. Um, It's going to be hard, but it gives you a little better of a chance. To me, this is not the most important head coaching hire Colorado will make. Dion's a needle mover. You need needle movers. The most important hire Colorado will make will be the next head coach after him. Because you're going to have a heck of a time having to build on that momentum, whatever the momentum is, whether it is social media momentum, recruiting momentum, wins and losses momentum, that's going to be the bigger hire because if Deion Sanders is there at Colorado for any longer than five years, it means something's up. That can't get him jumping up the ladder to either a bigger school or an NFL job. Let's check our M. Dyer Global scoreboard. It's brought to you by M. Dyer Global Moving Hawaii into the future. Monday night football, it's the Saints with a 10-3 lead on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. 14-10 to go in the third quarter. Not like we needed any more chaos in the NFC South uh, with all these teams south of 500. Uh, That game on our sister station, CBS 1500, you can watch it on ESPN television. Tom Brady's having a 45-year-old first half. I need Tom Brady to play like he's 41. Um, for my fantasy league's sake. Uh, college basketball, top 25 teams. Number 18, Gonzaga is up on Kent State, 38-32, uh, about a minute away from the end of the first half. And in the NBA, uh, under 30 seconds to go in the fourth quarter, Oklahoma City has got a 117-112 lead on Atlanta. 
uh, prayers to Bob Rathbun, the uh, play-by-play voice for the uh, for the Atlanta Hawks, who was uh, looked like he had some kind of like an epileptic episode uh, while doing his uh, scene set right before the game started. They took him to a hospital. He's uh, he's alert, and that's and that's good news. But that was uh, saw the video circulating online. That was kind of scary to see. As someone who knows what some of that is like, that is um, scary to see. Uh, Boston 116-110 on Toronto, 12 seconds to go in the fourth quarter. And uh, 10.06 to go in the fourth, Memphis up on Miami, 89-79. That's your M. Dyer Global scoreboard. M. Dyer Global always on the move. Traffic right here. It's the Sports Animals on ESPN Honolulu. Kai Kamaka the third. Oh, I was supposed to wait for the hook. Not the hook. I was supposed to wait for that line. Oops. Kai Kamaka the third in about 20 minutes. Uh, he's got a bout on Friday. He's on the undercard of the uh, Bellator Friday night show, which is on Showtime. Uh, we'll talk with the Pearl City native coming up in just a little bit. Uh, some of our texts have been in. We haven't gotten all of them all show long. You can get in our text line at 808-296-1420. Texter from the 722. Shout out to UCLA Women's Soccer and Pearl City Sunshine Fontes, national champions. That is right. Uh, she had the goal that helped get the game to overtime. I believe it went to double OT in a uh, match that was on ESPNU and uh, got them, uh, got UCLA uh, or kept UCLA in the picture, ultimately UCLA national champions. So uh, congratulations, Sunshine Fontes. Um, and Texter from the 381, we were talking about uh, Tua Tonga-Vailoa earlier, says, how about a Miami-Philly Super Bowl with Tua versus Jalen, which would also involve Devontae Smith, who caught Tua's championship-winning TD throw after getting a bad sack to play before in overtime? I mean, right now, I'd probably say you've got a high likelihood of a Miami-Philadelphia Super Bowl. Why not? Sports Center coming up. Transfer portal. It's a big deal today. We'll talk about that coming up next. There is a really disturbing story that I am sure will get the attention of the NCAA. And what is um, really odd about this story, it is coming out as the team that it is going after is currently playing a game. Uh, You may recall, I think it was a couple of weeks ago, the scary incident uh, which involved the death of a a student. This is... uh, New Mexico State. Let, let's let's go way back. There was a um, an incident between uh, a New Mexico State player and several students from New Mexico. One student died. This was prior to those teams supposed of, and these are basketball teams supposed to have played in a game. That game was subsequently postponed and then later canceled. They would find that three individuals, these New Mexico students, plotted this New Mexico State player to meet them at 3 a.m. or something um, 
to go meet the what he thought was going to be a meetup. Turned out it was a trap, and uh, then ultimately the incident happened, which led to just a tragic situation. We would ultimately learn that there was also a fight at a New Mexico State game that involved this said player from New Mexico State, and that there are also UTEP students involved. The distance between these three schools, not very far. A New Mexico student died. Uh, New Mexico State, New Mexico, they've all been dealing with this. UTEP has had to answer a little bit about this. Um, Mike Peak, the New Mexico State player, has been uh, suspended indefinitely by the school. Now, New Mexico State is playing their game currently. And as their game is played, as as Peak has been suspended uh, by the school, as this game is going on, a local television station, KOAT, has come out with what is likely a bombshell. And by the way, New Mexico State's game, it's like 38-17 over Simon Fraser. It's a team from Canada. Here's the bombshell. The headline. New Mexico State coaches held on to gun used by player in self-defense killing. The subline behind that. Experts say coaches didn't cooperate with police investigation. And here's the other thing about it. Is that allegedly... Other players are somehow tied to this. And let me go back to what I was saying. You know, this New Mexico State player lured by three individuals from New Mexico. This is what the report says about that, that I don't know that we knew about until today. At about 3 a.m., Mike Peak somehow skipped curfew to meet a girl he wanted to have relations with in a UNM dorm room. Court records show the 17-year-old girl had plotted with three other male students to lure him there as part of a planned revenge beating. Police have said that Peak was involved in an altercation with the men weeks earlier at the UNM New Mexico State football game in Las Cruces. One man, one woman, has been charged. Here is one of the details, or here are several of the details that are, if true, and I don't have any reason to dispute this report from this, uh, uh, I think this is an ABC affiliate, KOAT. After the shooting, Peak is seen on video approaching a yellow Camaro where he meets Three of his teammates. The teammates are named. And guess what? All three of those teammates are playing right now. Issa Muhammad, Marcellus Avery, and Anthony Roy. Peak is seen putting items into the trunk right before the car drives off. Police arrive after the Camaro drove off. 
When police went looking to question the three players, they spoke with NMSU coach Greg Heyer, who told investigators that he didn't know where the gun was and he needed to check with his athletic director to see if the players needed to get attorneys. He told them detectives, he told the detectives he would get back to them. The coach also said he didn't know Peak that well because he had only been on the team for several months. A couple of hours later, the detective tried to reach the coaches to get updates, including the coach who was involved in the curfew checks. Both went to voicemail. The deputy AD said the team and the bus were already headed back to Las Cruces. The detective told the deputy AD he needed to retrieve the gun and Mike Peake's tablet. They then tried calling one of the coaches who hung up on the detective. It is mind-blowing some of the stuff here that is in this story. With the allegation here and uh, really going back to the very top, players and coaches skipped town while investigators were trying to interview them and find the gun. As a result... A detective sped down Interstate 25 with lights and sirens on and pulled over the bus as it was headed back to Las Cruces with evidence on board. And the kicker, state police found the gun with an assistant basketball coach at an Albuquerque hotel, a tablet on the bus, and the cell phone in the hands of a New Mexico state administrator. How on earth is this team playing basketball right now when it is becoming increasingly clear that there is a cover-up within that team? Assistant coach holding a murder weapon or a, or a, a weapon, a revenge weapon, whatever you want to call it, holding a weapon. In what mindset is this something that is allowable? An administrator holding on to a student's phone. Trying to get away from authorities as they're trying to get evidence in a situation where someone dies. Three of these individuals are allegedly involved and they are playing right now. An assistant coach, I'm assuming, is on the bench right now. The head coach is coaching a team right now. There is no reason whatsoever new mexico state should have a basketball team on the court while there is a scenario in which someone has died and authorities can't even investigate it properly because two weeks later they still can't get stuff straight two weeks the story also says that there is the belief that uh there could be legal trouble. Coaching staff members and some of the players could face charges when it comes to not being forthcoming about helping authorities with the investigation. Also, 
and and I know New Mexico State's got a a, a lot on its plate right now, um, including this situation, and it is still um, it, uh, it it's maddening that something like this happens, and you think about families of those involved, and and you think of what kind of stuff everybody's being dragged through because this is not a good situation for anybody, not a single person, not a single family. This is not a good in, this is not a good thing for anybody. Um, but I'm also thinking about, for whatever reason, I'm thinking about being able to run a program. I'm thinking about how you can be trusted to run a program. And honestly, I'd have the head coach suspended on, on the spot. Head coach shouldn't even be on the bench. Assistant coach shouldn't even be on the bench. And I'm not even talking about, I'm not even getting as far as what this story is alleging of that staff. But you have, at the very least, four people on that team that skipped curfew at 3 a.m. on the morning of a basketball game. I don't care who the opponent is. It just happens to be New Mexico, the crosstown rival. You have that's about a third or a fourth of your basketball team that is decided, you know what? The team's needs don't matter. One player, I'm going to go sleep with a girl that I believe I know, not realizing that I'm running into a trap. And I don't know what the deal is with the other three players and what they knew or what they didn't do, but apparently they are there with a yellow Camaro after 3 a.m., after all of these things go down, and I'm thinking to myself, as as all of that stuff is bad, it's not good, but I'm wondering, man, how, how much control is around that program if a quarter of your team does not care about following curfew when it's on the road and entrusted to follow rules and represent an institution? Something smells really off about that. And as an administrator, that tells me I've got a coach and a coaching staff that has zero, absolute zero control over its team. Some things you cannot control, some things you cannot stop, some things you cannot do anything about, but that is a large number. It's one thing if it's one person. It's one thing if it's, you know, a, a scattered incident here. Scattered. This is four for one game. I also put that on coaches and, frankly, adults. What kind of programs being run there if you can't have a certain kind of accountability when you're away from campus? But this is... It, it's, it's not just about... Um, it's, it's not just about the fact that the incident happened, and it's not just about the fact that we have an investigative story that now places coaches on that team as being in very damning situations involving um, a, a really ugly situation, but it's that it's during a game in which that team is playing, this is all breaking out, and it is making that game, frankly, very meaningless and also making you wonder why you're playing it. Kai Kamaka, uh, Pearl City native, Bellator MMA athlete. Uh, he's going to join us on the other side. He's on the undercard on Friday uh, for Bellator as they've got a couple of title fights on the main card. 
but he'll be going early. We'll talk about his journey. We'll we'll talk about where he is uh, as uh, he prepares for Friday's bout. That's coming up on the other side. Don't forget Rivals Fantasy Football. That continues Wednesday at 8 here on ESPN Honolulu at 92.7 FM and 1420 AM. Chris Hart and Gary Dickman, uh, they talk about their fantasy teams. Uh, They get you a fantasy expert that's going to help you win your week or your league. Uh, First, your week. We take things week by week. And, of course, uh, a really good prize you have a chance to give away or a chance to win uh, coming up on Wednesday, 8 a.m. It's Rivals Fantasy Football uh, right here on ESPN Honolulu. We'll take a look at traffic here. Expected to have Kai Kamaka coming up next. It's the Sports Animals. You're listening to ESPN Honolulu. I'm going to throw the biggest curveball of all curveballs that uh, I have ever thrown at a guest right now. Uh, is Kai Kamaka, uh, the fighting Hawaiian, uh, joins us now uh, here on ESP in Honolulu. He's getting for, ready for his bout on Friday, Bellator 289 uh, in Connecticut. The biggest curveball I will throw out at you, Kai. I know you're not expecting it. We just played Christmas music coming out of the commercial. Do you have a favorite Christmas song? Um, uh, I don't know. I, I, I knew you weren't ready for it, so it's okay if you don't have an answer I, I, for it. You know what? No, no, no. I, it's not that, like, it, it just makes people cringe, that, but I, and I don't, like, not like it, is, um, Mar- Mariah Carey, um, All I Want for Christmas. <laughs> I don't mind it. You don't mind, don't mind it. it? No. Okay. Um, I don't. I don't think that's. I don't think that's cringeworthy. Um, that just means you're. You enjoy mainstream. Uh, mainstream Christmas songs. So there's. There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, Kai is not here to talk about his. Uh, his Mariah Carey Christmas favorite. Uh, he is here to talk about what's coming up on Friday. Um, before I, I. I get to Friday though. Um, you know this is your. This is your third bout in this iteration of your time in Bellator, uh, and and you have faced challenges. You've you've got to win. You're coming off of a split decision uh, back in April. You knew you were you were going to get challenged every time you stepped in there. Talk about how being back in Bellator now, having your third bout in uh, in your second go around with the promotion. Has um, has made you better. Has made you tougher. All of those things. Talk about that for me. Um. Yeah, I, just, I like to be active. I, I mean, I, I, I train to fight. I'm just trained to exercise. So I like to be active. I like to fight. Like if it's up to me, like every three months, four times a year. You know, three to four times a year. If not, three to five times a year. And I stay ready. I'm always trying to get better at myself. Um, I think that's the main thing. I just I keep getting. I just keep trying to improve on myself. Um, so I mean, the, the dates don't really matter because I just keep I keep trying to get better. It just it's a matter of when I get a date. Where where do you think is your biggest growth? Um, I mean, you very well could be you know could be coming off of a win. Like I said, it was a split decision. But you know, regardless of that, you know where where do you believe has been your biggest growth? Uh, I think my my biggest growth would probably be like just my maturity in the fight game, um, fighting. You know, just understanding understanding the in between of the mental side of being a fighter, like not just trying to be 
entertaining or not just trying to um, fight a certain way of that you think you should uh, because that's what, what the people want. But you got to fight. There's also that, that line where you got to, you need to just win and that's more important because um, the, the, the way people see the fight entertaining or not, that's just people's opinion. The win, you know, they can't, nobody can take that from you. So there's a fine line between between that and I gotta, I gotta be on that line of entertaining, but I also gotta be making sure I win these fights. Pearl City's Kai Kamaka the third joining us. He is the Fighting Hawaiian. He's getting ready for Kevin Bowman Friday. Uh, UFC uh, Bellator, excuse me, Bellator two eighty nine uh, Friday at the Mohegan Sun Arena in Connecticut. A win on Friday does what for you uh, as as you continue to try to move up? Um, it, it, it you know just puts another win on my record, another step forward. Um. I'm really excited to just go out there and battle the demons that I've been battling that, that um, of myself, you know, something that we, you only get from fighting, only get from stepping in front of people. And I'm excited because I, I feel like I've been working on a lot of, I, I'm aware of those things now. I mean, a lot, I'm a lot more aware of, you know, the, the experience than, than I have been the past two years. Um, I was obviously used to it. So I was never in control of like the experience itself, and I feel like I'm, I'm going to be in control of the experience on Friday night, and you're going to see a way better version of me, regardless of what Kevin Bowman does. Are you in, are you in Connecticut right now? Yeah, I just had like a journey from Honolulu. How cold is it? It's like I think it's like it was like in the 30s when we got here, but uh, I don't really shy away from the cold because I went to. Um, I went to school, school, and I went to college in Nebraska. So, I mean, whenever I get to experience the cold again, I, I don't mind it. You embrace it. It's it's pretty cool. Well, I I gotta say, Kai, uh, I I appreciate you joining us for a few minutes. And and I know this is not the first time we've talked, obviously, but uh, when you when you talk about the maturity and the growth and and kind of you know seeing everything within, I, I think you've encapsulated everything as as to why. You're getting some of these good opportunities. Why we get to continue seeing you uh, doing what you do and, and doing what you do so well. So uh, so keep it up. We'll continue to follow up with you as your career grows. And uh, and thank you for the time as always. We appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you guys for always having me. All right. That's Kai Kamaka the third. Bellator 289 uh, coming up Friday. Mohegan Sun Arena in Connecticut. There is uh, That is a uh, really good card that uh, you can check out. He's on the undercard. You can check that out on Showtime Sports YouTube and on uh, Bellator MMA YouTube and on Pluto TV. Uh, Kai Kamaka takes on Kevin Bohm. The uh, Bellator 289 main card on Showtime at 4 o'clock. The Bantamweight World Grand Prix semifinal. Stott Sabatello. Flyweight World Title Bout. Liz Carmouche. Juliana Velasquez. Bantamweight World Grand Prix semifinal. Patchy Mix. Uh, Magomed Magomedov. Middleweight bout, Dalton Rosta, Anthony Adams. It's a great card. It's Friday on Showtime. Uh, traffic here, Sports Center's on the way. Uh, we get some of your texts and calls in a moment. It's ESPN Honolulu. Oh, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of our dear Final thought in a moment as you're listening to the Sports Animals here on ESPN Honolulu. I'm Josh Pacheco in for Chris Hart and Gary Dickman. They will see you tomorrow morning. Uh, From Twitter, this is Devin.
By the way, the New Mexico State game is on ESPN+. You may have heard us earlier talk about the story a uh, New Mexico television station pulled out while this game was going on about the investigation into the shooting uh, of a, uh, I think it was a New Mexico student, New Mexico State student athlete was involved, a men's basketball player, um, just kind of a wild, wild thing. Coaches, uh, assistant coach apparently had the weapon that was used, tried to evade police. Um, Evidence was on a team bus that was trying to get out of town while a detective had to go speed race after it to go get it. There's a whole bunch of stuff. I'm I'm not going to reread everything here. But Devin says, do you think ESPN has a duty to cover this news during the game? Um, not everything that is on ESPN Plus is an ESPN production. And uh, I, I know we're kind of going through a lot of uh, this whole ESPN Plus stuff, given you know what happened last Friday with... Uh, um, you know, the blackout for, for that Hawaii matchup against LSU. But just because it's on ESPN Plus doesn't mean ESPN produces it. it. New Mexico State produces its own broadcasts. They have um, They have their own department. They produce their stuff like football. They have their deal with Flow Sports. Uh, that's where their games are. Um, they're part of the WAC in men's basketball. So as part of the WAC agreement, um, men's basketball games are on, you know, they're on local television there in New Mexico, but it's also on uh, ESPN+. Plus. The people who are broadcasting the game are basically New Mexico State television broadcasters. They don't work for ESPN. They're not, the, the, the broadcast is not affiliated with ESPN. It is like, I, 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 I don't know if it's Learfield or not, but I think it's like a, um, it's a New Mexico State broadcast. So, and, and I obviously haven't been watching it. I've got Monday Night Football here in the studio, and um, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't really had an interest of putting the New Mexico State broadcast on. Um, but I can guarantee you that New Mexico State is not covering a story like that on its own broadcast. Um, you know, that that's part of like the the whole blinders thing. You know, you got to pretend like it doesn't exist and call the game and just stick with what's in front of you and, um, you know, just kind of keep it to that because you're a New Mexico State broadcaster and you don't want to, you know, put out anything that is, you know, potentially harmful to the product that you are broadcasting. So I would say if it were an ESPN broadcast, on ESPN Plus, and it had the ESPN graphics, and it had ESPN talent, and it had all those things, then absolutely, yes, there would be uh, an absolute, um, that would be an absolute must that you cover it, um, you know, you mention it, and then you, you call the game as it is given that circumstance. In this case, because it is not an ESPN broadcast, you know, they're they're not doing it. You know, I'll I'll mention something similar with women's volleyball on Friday. I know s- still people are talking about what uh what had happened on Friday with the blackout. And you know, there's there's another thing that 
I think is probably you know kind of noticeable here when when you think of what we what we watched or at times did not watch on Friday. You might have noticed that presentation of what you partially got to watch, which was Hawaii and LSU, did not look like an ESPN presentation. It did not look like um, it, it 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 didn't look like something that the worldwide leader would put out. And you probably saw it in um, you know some of the other games as well, that some of them didn't look like normal productions. You know, that LSU Stanford, uh, I'm sorry, LSU um, Hawaii was same announcers, I think same production value as what you ultimately watched that Stanford Pepperdine and ultimately Stanford LSU. It wasn't ESPN graphics. It wasn't ESPN announcers. And many of them were not ESPN graphics or announcers. They were just like in, in that Hawaii game, that Hawaii match with LSU. It was basically you were watching a match and it was like you were getting a um, you, you were getting a feed from like the, 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 the video board in the arena you weren't actually really watching a broadcast. You were watching like a, a review of the arena video. And it happens a lot. You know, ESPN has the rights. They have the right to be able to, um, you know, put a broadcast of an NCAA event wherever they want to put it. Um, it doesn't mean that they produce it. It just means that they have the rights to it and they can distribute it. Uh, and and I think people are kind of learning through this process, albeit at times not a very good process, that um, there are some differences in what a broadcast is. There are some differences in, in uh, who does it, et cetera. And, um, you know, what you're ultimately getting when you pay, what is it, nine ninety nine now? I think for for ESPN Plus per month. I know the the the, the costs have gone up, you know. And, and I I think I even said on Friday, the part that I got to watch, you know, whoever the announcer was, clearly was not an ESPN employee, uh, saying something at the very end along the lines of, you know, it's a good learning experience for this Hawaii team, really young squad. I have a feeling they'll be back here next year. Uh, what <laughs> you you did you did you know anything about this Hawaii team or were you just there because you had to do the Stanford match later and um, you know you really didn't do any prep on LSU or or Hawaii you were just there you know just kind of getting ready for Stanford. I don't have as much of a beef as people do about a game or a match being on ESPN plus my beef is actually probably more important it is give me the quality give me the quality to know that what i'm getting whether it's you know you already have the bundle or you already have you know the package and you're just you know clicking it on and watching it or um you know, or you just bought it for the first time just because you wanted to watch it and you're expecting that, you know, you're going to see a, a, a quality broadcast and you ultimately, well, you, I mean, forget the blackout for a moment. What you get is, frankly, a 
um, you know, not so well produced version of it, you know, is is disappointing. It it is valuable for entities like ESPN to have the rights to NCAA championships. Um, having the rights is different than having the ability to produce all of it. And I think that is a, a very big difference. And to me, what is probably the, the biggest shame of all of it is not the blackout. Mistakes happen. Humans make mistakes. And Hawaii's situation when they're on ESPN Plus or ESPN3 is different than a lot of places across the country in which there are blackouts that Hawaii has normally that can lead to the potential of human error. That can happen. Uh, my biggest gripe is you're, you know, you're in the NCAA tournament and you're not on a broadcast that is being produced with the proper talent, the proper graphics, the proper attention to detail. Um, that to me, that's the bigger insult. If you can't produce from all 16 sites and have your own talent across all 16 sites and have your own graphics and your own people doing it, um, then... I would say, yeah, go out and figure something different out or trust television professionals to go in there and do it, not just streaming people because it's on a stream. I don't pay $9.99 or I don't pay for the Disney bundle just because I want to watch another stream. I pay that money because I there's stuff that I want to watch and I value what it is that I want to watch. And I expect it to be of good quality if I'm spending money out of my paychecks every month in order to go watch it. I expect better. Don't give me an arena video board feed as part of my $9.99 a month that I'm spending. Um, and for an NCAA tournament team, um, I expect to be treated, if it's my team, the same way that I would expect you're going to have you know, the right graphics and production for Kentucky or for Wisconsin or for any of the other major players in your sport. That's what I would expect. That is all I ask. I don't, I don't want to get into this. You know, This brought, was brought up on, on social media uh, a, a couple of days ago. I don't want to get into this, whether it's right or wrong, to be you know, promoting streaming. Cord cutting is happening. People are going to streaming services. Um, and as much as I would love to see more things on regular TV, on a regular set-top device, I don't, I'm not going to be like a generation anything about it. I just know where business is going. And I know it, it, it's, it's business sense for a lot of these companies to go this route. But do it right. You're not going to bump the NBA on a Friday night to put on a women's volleyball match that's probably not yours. The NBA is going to trump those ratings at least four to five-fold. You spend a lot of money on Stephen A. Smith. You're not bumping uh, your collaboration with Omaha Productions for a Stephen A. Smith 
Manning cast like production of the NBA because again, there's a lot of money at stake. There's a lot of production value that's at stake. There's a lot of partnerships that there that's at stake. You don't want to mess up with ESPNU with women's soccer semifinals going on because they had that and men's soccer semis and, and, and all that stuff. You you know you've got all those commitments. More of this will happen. At some point, you can't fight it. All you can do is ask for better. That's it. Not about a blackout. Not about whether you felt like your team was not, you know, whatever. All you do is ask for better. Better production. Better quality. Just better than a standard in-arena simulcast. That's all. We'll close things out on the other side right now. We'll look at traffic. The Brotherhood's on the way, by the way, in about 15 minutes. Sports Animals, you're listening to ESPN Honolulu. This uh, this Saints-Bucks game is painful. And, and it's painful for whoever you root for. It, it, it doesn't matter. If you're a Tampa Bay Buccaneers fan, it's painful. You can only put up three points uh, against the New Orleans Saints. If you are a New Orleans Saints fan, this is painful that, well, you're, you're, you're well, you're four and eight. And uh, you're behind Andy Dalton trying to win this game. And uh, Rob DeMello, I'm sorry. Oh, my gosh. Rob DeMello, I'm so sorry, but uh, your team's not very good. The Bucks is not, they're not very good. It is the kind of 16 to 3 game that makes you want to reconsider life decisions. It also makes me, for about the fifth time this year, want to reconsider why Tom Brady is in my starting lineup as the fantasy football quarterback. When I could have had a long time ago, yes, Tua, yelling that across the room, I, I dumped him after the injury. Could have had Taylor Heineke, who has put up 11 more points in his tie than what Tom Brady has put up today. Until now, he's got a touchdown. Thank you. Uh, I'm down 20. <laughs> Look, I, I'm in a fantasy football league where basically a loss gets me out of postseason contention. And I'm down 20. With three minutes to go, make that now down 15, thanks to the touchdown, with three minutes to go, and watching Tom Brady, where all he can do, throw it out, throw it into the flat, throw it over the middle. Tom Brady can't complete the deep ball. And I was watching a graphic during Monday Night um, Monday Night Countdown earlier. Um, I, I don't remember if this was the Manning portion of it. But um, the graphic was of him deep down the field looking for guys like Mike Evans and so on. And when, when I saw that graphic, you know what I was reminded of? I was reminded a couple of weeks ago they used 
a similar type of graphic, and I don't know that it was ESPN. It was it was it was someone else who was broadcasting a Dolphins game, and they were doing the same exact thing too. Tua Tonga Vailoa, and they were talking about how he, when he's throwing deep down the field, has a hard time completing the deep passes down the field. That the deep ball is not a threat. It's interesting. Um, You know, watching that last drive, it was a 91-yard drive, and it was like dinking and dunking almost the entire drive. They get pass interference, they get down to the one-yard line, they get a touchdown that gets them into the end zone on a, I think it was to Cameron Brait on a touchdown. Oh, I was, uh, Kate, who was it? Cade Otten. 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 Yeah, I don't know why I said Cameron Braid. Um, but anyway, just a, an ugly game. It's it's so ugly. It's 16-10. And, and the sad thing is, it's still a game with uh, with three minutes remaining. The the playoff positioning, Bucks five and six, Falcons five and eight, Panthers four and eight, Saints four and eight. Uh, those are the teams in the hunt right now for the postseason. All of them in that ridiculously bad NFC South. Oh, I know where you're going. Just do it. Just do it. Too, eh, it's too late already. I know what you wanted to do. You wanted to hit the yikes, which just feels like we should at every end of the show at this point because that's kind of where it gets to at this point. At this point, it's like a segment at this point, the yikes moment of the day. Sponsored by nobody. I mean, I mean, it reminds you of the good old days of the NFC South, doesn't it? Back when the Panthers won it, when they went seven, eight, and one. Those were the good times, right? With Cam Newton and the second place seven and nine New Orleans Saints. Those were better days. This is not. This is not that. This is not old NFC South. This was not old Seahawks making it at sub-500 way back when. No, this is a division that should be scrapped from playoff potential because they're all bad. They're all awful. None of those four teams should be going postseason bound unless they have a winning record. It is all bad, disappointing, underwhelming football in the NFC South. And yet, I'm still watching this. Why? Because I need Tom Brady and Rashad White to give me 15 points in the next 247 to keep my playoff hopes alive in our ESPN Honolulu Fantasy Football League. If you needed the yikes drop at any point in time, that would have been the time to do it of what I'm actually asking for. Yikes! Yeah, it's a, it's a heavy ask. Uh, I'm off tomorrow. Jimmy V Classic tomorrow. Uh, I fly to Vegas tonight. I'll talk to you Wednesday uh, from the Dollar Loan Center. The Brotherhood is coming up next.